Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter. And today I'm so excited. I get to talk to one of my most favorite people in all of the Twitterverse. And he's super popular. So I know as I start to describe him, you'll all know who it is, but I'll do it anyway. He served 37 years in the U.S. Army and retired after serving as the commanding general of the U.S. Army in Europe and the 7th Army. When he retired, he moved on. He, was a senior vice, he is the senior vice president for Florida Hospital Organization. He was on Obama's Presence Council of Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. And he's on your TV all the time because he's on CNN. And if you guessed it was General Mark Hurtling, you're right. Welcome, <laughs> Mark. Emily, it is great to be on with you. And boy, what an introduction. That's that's pretty wild. Um, my goal is when I talk to people, I give them such a good introduction that you almost want to stop talking because it's like so good. But then I worry that we've peaked so high that there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, yeah, you've peaked already. So we'll just hang this up right now. Okay, that's totally cool. But oh, but I have a question for you before you hang up. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I adore you is because we're both from St. Louis. Right. Um, so the Blues just won the Stanley Cup. They did. Um, did you know about uh, the sort of informal mascot named Boris? Wow, I did not. This is a fun fact. You've got me on this one. What? Okay. Who's Boris? So I'm on Twitter, as I do, and I see somebody from St. Louis dancing with what looks like a rat. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And he's dancing. I think he's singing Gloria, which I have no idea why that's the blues thing. Yeah, I, don't song. I, I don't get that. Not living in St. Louis now. That keeps coming up, but I don't know why it is the theme song. Okay. I will ask some friends. You need to ask some friends and we'll, we'll, we'll try to find out what the answer is. Cause I was like, huh? I get like, meet me in St. Louis or whatever, but Gloria. Yeah. Anyway, so I make fun of this kid who's dancing with a rat. And I was like, oh, I'm from St. Louis. This doesn't make us look great. You're dancing with a rat in the middle of like whatever the arena is. And I literally got piled on. Like I, people literally descended upon me and they're like, that's not a rat. That's a chinchilla named Boris. And he's the blues mascot. Um, I'm sorry, what? There's a chinchilla. We have a chinchilla named Boris, who's the blues unofficial mascot. Well, you know, it, it sort of makes sense because the Cardinals had the rally squirrel. And, oh, I forgot about that. You knew about that, right? Yeah, but I forgot what the whole history was there. Well, it was I... just, a, you know, it was a squirrel that ran across the field. And after it ran across the field, they started winning. So they said that squirrel gave them good luck. So they tried to bring it back and take it through the World Series. But I don't know if the Rams ever had anything. And if they did, it doesn't matter anyway because they're gone. They're gone. But, but a chinchilla, that just... Okay, we're going to have to find out before we start making fun of it. Well, I did. So I, I get so made fun of. A friend of mine DMs me. He's like, oh, you're in it now. And I was like, I didn't know. So I, like, may a culpa, I apologize. And people were making fun of me. Oh, she thinks she's so cool. I'm like, no, I literally know I'm not cool. But I'm really sorry. I thought it was a rat. And so literally it was, I was on an apology Twitter tour for, like, a whole week. <laughs> going off on this stupid, stupid <laughs> chinchilla. 
that somebody was dancing with. Okay. Now I have a question. If you saw somebody dancing with what you thought was a rat, would you make fun of him a little bit? It, it all depends. It would depend on what part of the world I was in. You know, there are some strange things that happen all over the world, as you know, and some of these are cultural norms. So dancing with a rat could be fine in some countries, but it's certainly not good where I live right now. Where have you been where you've seen something like that, where you're like, <laughs> that's interesting? Well, you know, we can start uh, talking about uh, what we were going to talk about, because Growing up in St. Louis, yeah. uh, here's a fun fact for you. I never left the city of St. Louis until I was 18 years old. And it was the first time I ever got on an airplane. Really? Uh, yeah. When I when I went off to go to West Point at 18 years old, it was my first trip. I was all by myself. I landed in New York City. Uh, we can get into some show tunes because that was also the first night, the night before I entered West Point as, a, as an 18-year-old, that I saw my first Broadway show and was hooked on it. Which um, show? You don't it was, say. Yeah, it was Porgy and Bess, and I got free oh. tickets just walking down the street, oh. uh, and I was fascinated by it. But um, since then, uh, my wife and I count the countries we've been to, and, and I've since been to 119 countries, uh, which is kind of cool because that's what the Army has done, and I've seen all different kinds of cultures. I have yet to see the culture that dances with rats, but I'm sure it's out there. It has to or be. It may just be in St. Louis. It could be. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I, my husband and I are still voracious travelers and I have such bad wanderlust that for our anniversary last year, I got one of these like map things that has three different pins in it. It's where you've been. I forgot right. where you'd like to go and you keep putting the pins all over till the map is filled. Cause right. I still have, do you still have a bucket list or do you feel like you've hit most of those? Oh places? no, I, I've still got a huge bucket list. Yeah. Where do you want to go? Uh, from a country perspective? Yeah, from like, where would you like to go on vacation? I want to go to either the Arctic or the Antarctic. That's amazing. Yeah. I would really like to go to the North Pole, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> I, was, I was reading a book, a great book, if you ever get a chance to read a book called uh, Moby Duck. Have you ever heard of this? No. Yeah, it's, it's a, a true story of a guy who gets caught up in uh, following... There was an accident, I think it was in 1992, where a, a cr container of uh, 200 and I think it was 240,000 rubber ducks from China fell off of a ship. Oh, wait and, a minute. Uh, geographers and, and uh, environmentalists have traced these rubber ducks as they've gone all over the world. And this guy wrote a book about it, and it's fascinating. Uh, but one of the things that, that caused him to investigate this was he followed the pattern of the rubber ducks that went into the the northern passages and through the the arctic and uh, he actually went to the north pole never thinking he, he would do something like that just to trace how these rubber ducks went all over the world into the great pacific garbage heap and all that other stuff it's really kind of a good book yeah I remember seeing something about that a long time ago and do some and this maybe I'm making this up but if I am, it's not fake news. I'm just wrong. Okay. Do, do some of the ducks, have they, do they kind of write about them when some of the ducks, because they keep getting discovered. Am I right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I feel like the story is so familiar and I feel like I've read or it feels very familiar that I've read something about somebody finding a duck here and somebody finding a duck there, right. which I find kind of wonderful and very sweet in a way, even though I guess somebody's going to be like, they littered everywhere, but I think it's kind of lovely. Yeah, it, it is kind of a neat book from the standpoint of and the, the environment. And, you know, most the, the, the guy that wrote the book said, he, I think he found the first one in Sitka, Alaska. And he asked some people at a bar 
where, where the hell these rubber ducks come from? <laughs> More of them. And they told them, oh, they're washing up on the shore all the time because of the ship uh, that lost a cargo off the Bering Strait. Uh, so then he started following them and found that they literally went to the four corners of the world and in, were in every ocean. Uh, and he tracked them to all the places where plastic garbage is. And uh, it, it's really kind of a fascinating story. But we are way off of a subject that I think you probably wanted to talk about, right? Um, yeah, I was saving that for I was going to save it for the end because I have a questionnaire for you. OK. All right. Um, and I figured, because I have to ask you, I want to ask you a couple of more meaty things before we get to the fun stuff. Okay. I figured that would be a good palate cleanser at the end, because I want to talk to you about Trump. I say it like, I can't say it three times, like Beetlejuice, or he'll appear all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh no, I said it once. So I became acquainted with you, obviously on Twitter, how everyone becomes acquainted with everybody. And I was really impressed because I think in my head, I thought, oh, former military, maybe he won't speak out. Maybe he won't speak and tweet with such candor. But you throw down. You have no reservation. You're incredibly candid and very articulate with your words and what you say. Were you ever nervous in the beginning about doing that? Yeah, there, there is actually... Um, there's a lot of discussion about civil military affairs and, and uh, civilian control of the military. And being retired, you kind of skirt the edge of what you can and can't say. The things that I'm saying now on Twitter as a, as a retired guy, I could never say wearing the uniform because you have to be deferential, you have to be professional, and you have to understand that elected, official are, uh, elected officials are your bosses. Uh, but in this case, what I'm trying to do, I'm never trying to be insulting. Uh, or or improper or uncivil, but I I do sometimes try and point out, first of all, the military assessment of what is going on, and because I'm a real student of leadership, uh, one of the things I just point out is the violations of the attributes and competencies expected of a leader, uh, both from an elected official and from a moral leader of a country, uh, that that we as a as a population should come to demand uh, of our elected officials. So I, I, again, I, I never try and be insulting, although it may sometimes appear snarky, uh, but I'm just trying to point out what right looks like uh, based on our history and our social norms. So yeah, if, if I sometimes appear um, snarky, I apologize for that. No, don't. The deep down stuff I'm trying to do is just to remind people what our our values are and what a great country we have over the last 200 plus years and why it is that way and why we have to continue to try and get better as a society every day. No, I actually think it's important when you said, I apologize if I'm being snarky. I, there's no apology needed. I think it's so important like social media can be a wasteland and it can just be just such a toxic place. But I think right now, you know, we get so much of our news from Twitter and from social media that it's important for people like you who have served this country so honorably for over 37 years and then continue to do so under Obama. And I think it's important that we see your criticism and your comments about what's going on in the world because it carries weight because you've seen it and you've lived it and you understand it. And I think you know, if you haven't had the privilege of government service, you might not have that. And so right. I think it's really, really important. 
I also yeah. think it's important that if you can serve the government in some way, you do. But that's just my own little, my own little thing. Right. Um, because I, I mean, because look, you, you had a genius tweet calling out Ivanka, which was beautiful. I think that's how I first maybe got to know yeah. you. That, that went viral, and yeah. um, I, I, again, that was there was a little bit of snark in that, but that was one truthfully where when she tweeted out the thing about how the Aspen Institute could help us <laughs> from a, from a national perspective get our youth fit, you know, there is this thing called the President's Council on Fitness, which was up and running and going pretty well, and which I was a part of, and we were seeing some effects, and it's been in existence for 60 years, and I don't think we have to uh, go to the Aspen Institute to find out what we as a nation need to do for our youth. And having been a part of that that um, uh, President's Council on Fitness for a couple of years on, in the Obama administration, that one was personal for me when when she tweeted that out. And just like, hey, get to learn your government there, Missy. If you're going to be an aide to the president as well as his daughter, you might want to find out what the heck we do and what can be done through government. But anyway, well, yeah. Yeah, but they don't – that she doesn't have an interest in knowing. Do you know – there's – I think it, she's in a blissful ignorance that she wants to be, and she doesn't care. I think she just says things and – the idea that she could study and actually they could learn from a previous administration so foreign and and it's so it's so anti what they believe in that that that'll never happen unfortunately. Well, that that again gets to the leadership piece that I like to talk about so much because you know in the military there's a continuous. Uh, taking of command of organizations. I mean, usually when you take command in the military, you're in that command for a period of two years, almost to the day. And you have to take your predecessor's accomplishments and approve on them. That doesn't necessarily mean you always have to like your predecessor, but you, you have to, at least in most cases, realize that the person that's come before you has tried to do well uh, or do good by their organization. And to just come in with a flat out uh, agenda of knocking everything that the previous administration did, good or bad, as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm the one holding the mantle right now. I've got to improve upon things, just seems to be antithetical to who we are as a people. Uh, we try and help the society move forward as opposed to just knocking what's been done in the past. And that's what I find Unfortunate. One of the things I find unfortunate about the current administration. Have you? I was going to ask you in terms of the military. It's it, what I've been impressed with, and is that you've spoken out so eloquently, even on the trans ban, um, and on the military parade. When those things happen, do you does your do you just get enraged? And like when you see this, do you just think this is not the military that I know? It, it is. Well, first of all, it's not the nation that I know. Um, and having been in the Army, which is a unique branch of the service, different from, I mean, each branch, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, the CIA, they all have their different cultures. Yep. But one of the interesting things about the Army is that we truly represent the society. You know, the Marines can tell a young person coming to their recruiting station, no, you're not good enough shape. You know, you don't have a smart because they're only recruiting about 16,000 a year. Uh, when I was in the Army, we were recruiting about 160,000 soldiers per wow. year. That's down a little bit now, but it represents all aspects of society. And it's supposed to be that way because our society is very diverse. 
And we've struggled with things like women in combat, the transgender uh, ban, uh, the don't ask, don't tell, uh, race relations in the military, if you go back to the yes. 40s and 50s and what we've overcome. But we've always gone to emphasize the diversity of our country and how that diversity is a great thing. I'm an old guy. You know, when I was new in the military as a second lieutenant, you know, gays in the military were unheard of. I mean, and, and terms were used that were derogatory and insulting. We've gotten past that now. And what I now know is, as I commanded a division in combat, and when I commanded U.S. Army Europe, I know I had some transgenders and some lesbians and some gays, and, and uh, it, it, I didn't care about that. They shouldn't care about my sex life, and I shouldn't care about theirs. All I should care about is, are you willing to serve the country, and can you meet the standards of service? Um, and I just found, as I moved away from St. Louis and joined this institution called the U.S. Military, that it was a wonderful title to have when you're called a soldier, because that means you're dedicating your life to something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And damn, if we if we tell people, no, you can't serve because of X or Y or Z, that sort of goes against what our national values are. It's and yeah, it does piss me off when I hear people saying we shouldn't allow people to serve if they can meet the standards or they do want to serve. It's to me, it's the greatest gift. If you're a citizen of this country and you want to serve and you meet the standards, exactly. To to say, no, you can't is it's so egregious and it's so insulting and it's so un-American on every single level. And I think I think that's what people think of when they think the army, that it's representative of our country because it is so large and it should be that way. And it's, I get, do you, I was going to ask you, you talked about recruitment being down. Is it a reflection of this administration or is it just a cyclical thing that it ebbs and flows all the time? I was just curious when you said well, that. I, it, yeah, it's a, it's an effect of a bunch of things. First of all, the, the joblessness rate is low. So that means a lot of people are getting a job instead of going in the military um, the fitness levels uh, of our our nation's youth, as we talked about a minute ago with uh, Ivanka Trump, is down, and we can only recruit about 23% of the 18 to 26-year-olds in the country because the other 77% don't meet the standards of going into the military. Wow. Uh, so college rates are up, uh, you know, and it'll go up even more if we have you know, free colleges if, if some people are elected. So those are all things that affect the ability of people wanting to serve. But what's interesting is, you know, people are, there are some people who knock the millennial generation. I'm not one of them because I saw during 17 years of war that millennials continued to enlist at a rate that was filling the military when they knew that right after basic training, the, the chances of them going into combat was very high. So you have young people saying, hey, I not only want to serve, but I know the repercussions of serving, and I might be putting my life on the line, yet they still join. That's the current generation we have, and I think it's is just as good as any generation in, that are called the greatest generation, like the ones of World War II. Did you, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a podcast called Zero Blog 30. It's on Barstool Sports. It's no, too- two former military who are in probably millennials 
And what they've done, they've said, they literally echoed what you just said, talking about every time people will knock millennials and they talk about all the millennials they've served with in Iraq and Afghanistan who have come back and continue to serve. And so that's been a big call for them. And they've really spoken out against that too and just giving them the credit they deserve. So yeah. I it's not, I, I loved hearing it from you because I see that all the time when they're tweeting and they talk about it as well. Um, they're like, we, we serve beside them. So don't tell me that essentially. Right. right. Uh, when, when Mattis was, what did you think when Mattis was appointed and accepted the position as secretary of defense? Like, did you, when, were you thinking who's going to take this job? What was your thoughts as someone who was out of it and seeing what a dumpster fire this white house is? Well, remember at the beginning when he did take the job, um, I think there were a lot of us, um, who held positions of senior leadership in the military who were concerned, primarily from the standpoint of the civil-military relations. And here was a guy who had recently been a four-star general and he was coming back in. But uh, that was tempered by the fact of, hey, we need some really good people to help this guy, this new guy, this businessman uh, become president, and maybe he will guide him along. Okay. But, but as the administration went along, we were seeing that very few people can guide this guy along. Nobody. And I, I quite frankly was surprised that Secretary Mattis lasted as long as he did. Uh, it must have been insufferable uh, for a guy that is smart is as smart as as Jim Mattis and some of the other ones that are in the administration to really. Um, see where things were heading. And you get to that tipping point where you are in an, a position where you say, well, gee, I've, now I have to stay to make sure my people are defended and that things don't get too far off the rail versus, gee, I got I, I, I to stop this and do a moral thing and just resign because I can't be a part of this. And I think Secretary Mattis lasted a long time in that position because he was conflicted, uh, as so many other words. But, you know, there, it gets to a point where trust is a big deal with people in the military, as you know, people who are in government service. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as he realized that he could, he could no longer be trusted by our allies because of the policies that the president w was laying down, that that's when he said, hey, if... If the, the Baltic nations don't trust me, if NATO do, doesn't trust me, I can no longer do this. And I think that was probably the tipping point. It's interesting because I... That's, oh, that's conjecture on my part. Well, I'm assuming that Christopher Ray, Gina Haspel are all feeling that right now. As you know, obviously today we're taping this. It was the day before, basically, not even basically, Trump said if... Uh, a foreign power offered him information on an opponent, he would probably accept it. He doesn't say anything wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine how they're doing their job. I, I, I think maybe, I mean, from the CIA optic, I think, okay, she's probably thinking I can protect my people. She's a career ops officer. This is her life. She lives for this organization. I, and my only assumption is that she thinks that she can protect it in some way because if she leaves, somebody horrible like Pompeo will be appointed. I guess. I guess. Yeah, I, I, that that would be my guess too. Um, but the only thing I'd say: these are extreme civil servants. Uh, 
Yeah. They yeah. are really taking their dedication to the country to the next higher level. Uh, and the two you named, Gina Haspel and, and uh, Director Ray, uh, are probably, and, and I would add to that some of the underlings in the Justice Department, uh-huh. when, when they see their people at the top uh, saying, what the heck is going on? But, you know, there are going to be some people who will look past that, as we've seen many people, many elected officials looking past it. And in fact, oftentimes making excuses for it, which is the thing I just can't understand. There's got to be a moral deterioration that that is just beyond me how they can allow that. So, Mark, if, let's say hypothetically Shanahan's out and he called you, Trump called you to serve, what would you do? Uh, I, I've actually thought about that. Uh, or maybe not that position, but other positions. Yeah. Um, I think I would have to, you know, as much as I continue to want to serve my nation, I don't think I could serve for someone who is that morally unfit. Um, and I, especially when you know you couldn't affect it in the way that you would want to in terms of riding the ship. That's a horrible thing to say, isn't it? No, it isn't. I, I don't know how people do it. I don't know. You know, I look at the administration now. I mean, before I think we had, you know, we had Mattis. We're like, oh, there's a good, there's a good guy there. And, you know, we had, I look at Haspel and I know she's had a lot of criticism, but I think she's trying to do the right thing. She's a career ops officer. Like she's career CIA. She, she wants to affect change. She wants to make sure the agency is doing the best that it can. But I can't imagine getting that call. And I, I don't know how somebody can, can work for him. Would you say hell no or hell no? Like, how would you say no? I would, I would just say respectfully, oh. uh, I decline. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, and, and there's, you know, there are things like ambassadorial positions that people are being asked to serve in. And there are a whole bunch of really good people that I know, uh, academics, uh, national security experts, people who are subject matter uh, professionals who have said no already. And it's to the detriment of our nation, which is really unfortunate. Um, and these are people who I think could serve the country very well. Yep. But this isn't, you know, I guess the whole thing comes down to they're not being asked to serve their country. They're being asked to serve an individual which runs counter to um, moral responsibility when you're in a transformational organization where you're serving the nation, where you're serving the organization. You're not serving an individual. And that's that's the, the moral question that it all comes down to. Who are you excited about for 2020? Have you gotten excited about any of the candidates? Would you campaign for a candidate? Uh, I would not campaign for a candidate to answer that question first. And the only reason I would not do that is because of, you know, being on CNN and, you know, people, even though there are a lot of people accusing me of being an Obama general, which is absolutely ludicrous after I, I served under nine different presidents, Obama just happened to be the last one and he didn't affect any of my promotions. Uh, but who am I excited about? I truthfully, yeah. I'm excited about a lot of them. There, there are some really smart people 
um, who are currently putting, throwing their hat in the ring. Uh, I'm very excited personally about um, uh, Kamala Harris. I love her. Pete Buttigieg, uh, um, I, all of them. When you listen to them speak, uh, the current crop of people, and, and and I'm not saying anything about the GOP side because no one has thrown their hat in the ring. Although I'm sure there might be some that could really jump okay. in. Um, but the ones that I'm hearing speak, when when you compare and contrast some of their plans, their potential policies, their attempts at establishing end straight end state strategies, you say, hmm, that's an intellectual argument. You can ad- agree or disagree with it, but when you hear the president speak, it's word salad and it doesn't make any sense. And that's where it's so refreshing to hear anyone speak out who is saying we have a better direction for our country other than some of the things that are currently going on with the administration. That's exactly it. Like, I'm happy if I can disagree with somebody because I understand what they're saying and they're clear about their intent, but there's nothing to do. You can't do that now. Right. Do you think we'll see a change in 2020? Are you optimistic? I am. I am uh, only because I'm optimistic about our country. Uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I, I'm kind of a amateur historian. And we've been, and I just finished a, a great book on Grant by Ron Chernow, uh, who, as you know, wrote, also wrote yes. uh, Hamilton. I love uh, the name Hamilton. Okay. And um I actually thought the grant, the book on Grant was better than the book on Hamilton because it just showed the the depths to which we had gone as a society during the Civil War and after the Civil War. And it it today sort of pales in significance to that in terms of challenges to the country. The only difference is we we had some people back then who were really trying to address the problems and fix them and move the country forward. At the same time, certainly there were some evil people and some some transactional people that were were countering uh, an evolution of society. But the nation has always bounced back. Uh, I'm concerned now that some of our institutions have been tarnished. That it's going to take who? Well, let's go back to your question about who who do I like? Yeah. Uh, I will glom on to anyone who shows um, elements of character and who is going to be willing to really focus on our national values and who we are as a people. You know, we can discuss policies and strategies and all those other kind of things later, but if you don't have character and an understanding of who we are as a people and what our national values are, I personally don't want you leading our country. No. Because everything else everything else flows from that character and that understanding of who we are. You're right. But you didn't you only named two, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I we could go through all of them. I truthfully, you know, going back to the leadership piece, I evaluate all of them from the standpoint of leadership attributes and competencies. The the three attributes of character, presence and intellect and the three competencies of building trust, developing subordinates, and taking action. Uh, I, I actually kind of laid out a thing on those six areas uh, when Clinton and, and Trump were fighting in their campaign, and both of them uh, fell short in several areas. Um, 
but there was one that was certainly, in my view, much better than the other. Um, although all individuals are flawed, what I'll do with all of our, our presidential candidates is kind of evaluate them from in those six categories and then take a look at what their potential policies are. It's interesting. We're talking about presidents. And I remember in school, I think there was so much more time focused and given attention to you know, government, how our country works, our founding fathers and the present. I don't know if, if that same attention is given in the schools anymore. And I don't want to like dog on the young generation because everybody does that. But it's just interesting to me, even talking to my nieces, you know, we had to learn all the presidents when we were little, you know, and it's still in my crawl. Like I still know it's my party trick now. State, but, state capitals too and all that. State, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Even yeah. the states, you would have to do, you know, we we all had silly songs, and but we all knew them. And it, it's not just, you know, random fun facts. It's also, I think there's something to that. And there's a weight to it to be able to list and to understand all these people who, who served our country in different ways, in better ways, some not as good. But there's there's a history there that we can learn from that I, I hope there's, going back and reinforcing in school, especially now when they see the importance of it, because I think, you know, some kids, younger generations, I hate saying young kids, it makes me feel so damn old, but um, <laughs> oh my God, I'm gonna like start to clip coupons and catch the early birds, but oh, good Lord, Mark, so, help me what, out here. What's, what's wrong with those two things? Hold oh on. God, there's literally nothing wrong with that. I still clip coupons and when I go to the grocery store, People look at me. I take my coupons out of a little Ziploc baggie that I keep in my purse, and it literally delights me to no end. When I, at the end, whenever I pay, I'm always like, "How much did I save? How much did I save?" And I always feel like I've won the lottery. It literally delights me. Yeah. Hey, you know, on on that though, on on schools yes. and related things, um, you know, I, my wife and I had the great honor of spending 12 years of my service in Europe. Uh, well, she spent 12 years there. I spent nine years there because the other three years I was in Iraq. But um, in those 12 years, we got to know a lot of uh, the citizens of Germany and Italy. Uh, and what we were fascinated with was their sense of their country and their history, both good and bad. And I mean, actually, it's a requirement of, of German children to go to uh, uh, prison camps, yep. uh, you know, where the Holocaust occurred. And they learn the bad things that Germany did. I mean, it is part of their history in in, in a attempt never to repeat it. Um, but they also learn about their government, about Europe. And it was fascinating to us to to talk to uh, teens in Germany who probably knew more about our system of government Absolutely. than some of our own uh, American kids did in our school system, which is really unfortunate. I agree with you a million percent. I saw that when I traveled with the agency and it we have a and it was always astounding to me and always made me a little bit sad because I thought they know they probably know more than I do. And it was they were also passionate about it could speak so really eloquent. I can't even say eloquent. So apparently it's not me, but could speak so articulately about, you know, our country and our system of government. We have a very good friend. Uh, my husband's best friend moved to Germany. Um uh, married a German woman. They're actually, they just moved back. But it was interesting because she talked a lot about what you were saying about how since she was a child, they they talked about the Holocaust. Right. And it was part of the, it was part of the vernacular. And it was, it was, it's such an ugly period of their country that she, 
you know, she had nothing obviously to do with it, but she had such shame about it. Right. And it was such, such, such profound shame. And it was, I mean, it was interesting. It was heartening to see how, you know, how it was taught in the schools and how, how they understood it and they vowed to never repeat it. It was, it was really surprising because I don't, that type of reflection was really was inspiring in a way because I it was very very profound. Yeah. Besides being from St. Louis, and that already gave you status because you know all people from St. Louis are cool. Yeah. Okay, just quick question before I do that: Do you have USAA insurance? I do. Okay, so do I, and I'm convinced because my dad was in the military. I'm absolutely convinced that that's the reason my husband married me. Just just to give him a plug, I think it's the best insurance ever. They're so lovely. Just throwing out there. I'm trying to figure out where this is going. But no, it's not going anywhere. I just had the question. I assume that everybody who's in the military is USAA. And every time I ask somebody about it, they're like, oh, it's the best insurance ever. It is. It's, they're terrific. They're they're unbelievably great. They they do things that no one does, which it's Amazing. unfortunate for people who don't have that insurance, but it's great for all of us that do. Yeah, it's I literally I always give them plugs. I'm like, they're so lovely. Every time I call, I'm like, you guys are so nice. And then literally my husband when we first got married, he's like, How much is your insurance? I'm like, that's why you married me. He's like, pretty much. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. I said we don't have to make any bones. But the real part is I was gonna talk to you that you surprised me because I think we have general oh, that was gonna be a pun. I was gonna say we have general perceptions of people, general. Yeah. Um, and I saw you're in the military. I was shocked to learn that you were a big musical theater fan. Yeah. So I have a little quiz. It was all over Facebook. So, you know, it's a legit quiz when it's on social media. It's, um, you know, I think it's probably one of those Mensa quizzes. I joke. Um, so, like, it's a fast round, okay? What's the musical that you hate? Uh, Les Mis. Really? Yeah. You hate Les Mis? Yeah, it's so depressing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I hate is such a strong word. I didn't like it. Let's just put it that way. That hurts. We may break up after this. Seriously, uh, Peter okay. Le Miz? Jean yeah. Valjean? Yeah. 24601? Sorry. Oh my God. I'm going to have to now only tweet you uh, Le Miz gifts. And I'm going to encourage everybody <laughs> to do that as well. We are literally going to transform you. We're going to convert you. Okay. What musical do you think is, is overrated? Ooh, Cats. Oh, well, I'm on board. I'm giving you an invisible high five right now. You have okay. no idea. Cat, and they're making it into a musical, like a real live person musical. Yeah, I know. Guess what I won't be saying. Actually, I'm totally going to see it. I lie. I'm totally going to see it. Ugh. What musical do you think is underrated? What musical have you seen? You're like, why isn't this bigger? 1776. Really? Yeah. Really? That to me is a poor man's Hamilton. It, it is, but it was also 30 years before Hamilton and it was yeah. masterful. It was a, the first approach at making history, uh, that revolu revolutionary history, into a musical comedy. Isn't that fascinating? Um, I thought you were going to say, uh, yeah, there's so many good puns there with revolution. And it was Betty Buckley's big break. It was. Yeah, exactly. Uh, geek out. Mm. Okay. I love what music? Who, wait, wait a minute. Who was the guy uh, who played Adams? What was his name? It was William, um, the guy from St. Elsewhere. Yeah. William, uh, William oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to look it up before. Ah, uh, God bless. And he was the, and the guy that kid. played Hamilton was the guy from uh, The Great White Shadow, too. And what's his name was also in it, too. There's a, there's a bunch of famous people in it. Yeah. Okay. What All musical? Right, you're doing well. What musical do you cherish? Hamilton. Ah, uh, me too. Yeah. 
I think I tell everybody that's probably one of the best musicals, and I think Evan Hansen is one of the most important musicals of it, our it, recent. It is Shakespeare on Broadway today? Uh, and I'm surprised you're not asking me um, if I can rap any of the songs because there's actually a video somewhere at CNN where I was waiting to do a hit, and one of their producers, uh, one of the young women that you know prepares you for a, a segment. Uh, she had just seen it and I told her I saw it and and I could rap all of the songs and she challenged me to a rap battle, which I did. Yes. Uh, there on film. So somewhere in the archives of CNN prior to a hit, uh, there's a, a person and myself doing uh, guns and ships. Oh, OK. Well, I don't want to have to look up, look it up when I could just ask you to do it right now. Uh, guns and ships. Well, you, are you going to yeah. do it? No, I can't do guns. Guns and ships is too quick for me. Well, it's it's a it's two people doing it though. I okay. I can I can start it off and I'll give okay, you. Okay, I'm pulling. I have to pull it up. I'm gonna pull up guns. Right. guns. I as a ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower somehow we become a global superpower? How do we? Uh, geez, How do we emerge? Victorious from the quagmire, leave the battlefield waving Betsy Ross's flag higher. Yo, turns out we've got a secret weapon: an immigrant who's okay. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's enough. No, okay. that's good. And then we get to Lafayette. I'm taking the horse by the reins. I can't do that part. I'm taking these horse by the reins, making red coat, making red coats redder with blood stains. Lafayette. I was just doing that uh, part. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's the you best. Caught okay. me off guard, but that's pretty good, don't you think? That was um amazing. Amazing. I begged my nieces. They were doing a themed bat mitzvah, and I begged them to do a Hamilton bat mitzvah. <laughs> All right. Give me another uh, musical question. Yeah. What musical um, could you listen to on repeat? Uh, other than Hamilton, which yes. would be my first choice, uh, Pippin. God bless. I love that musical so much. Every time I see it, I am a ball of just, I just weep. It's such a beautiful musical. It it's really so, is. It's such a perfect musical. What's What musical, if you could be in a musical, would you want to be in? Oh, uh, Jersey Boys. Really? Okay. It's yeah. a jukebox musical. I'm usually anti-jukebox musicals, but that was actually a good one. It okay. Good. It was good. I think they did that style well. And I think it was of that kind of musical. I'm, I like that one, which was surprising for even me. Yeah. And I think I know the answer, but the musical that made you fall in love with musicals? Uh, I, um... I'll, well, I mean, it, it would have to be Porgy and Bess because it's the uh -huh. first one I saw. Um, and it was just so fascinating for me to be a kid from St. Louis, the poor side of St. Louis, being on Broadway and just that whole ambiance of doing something I'd never done before, uh, you know, 45 years ago. It was really pretty cool. I and, hope, it and it was oh, free, too. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I hope more kids get that experience. For me, I, I mean, obviously, I talk a ton about theater, but... For me, as being a very much an outsider and such an awkward kid, it was a place where I found that I found like I was accepted and I found such an escape there. And it's it's such a beautiful place. And I think so many kids gravitate to theater for those reasons. So I get sad when I see, you know, kids not being able to go to the theater. They can't afford to go to the theater or those programs are cut in school. And it's just because I feel like I always say that musicals and in theater have changed, truly changed my life. And I don't say that in a very cliche way. It really it was something it it did it was uh, sort of that anchor i think a lot of kids gravitate to yeah you know if i, if I can do a yeah. 
commercial because just last week uh, you know, here in Orlando, we've got this world-class uh, performing arts center that was just recently built about five years ago. It, it, it is amazing. Uh, I love new people, I'm sorry. I love new theaters when it's that new theater smell and it's all oh pretty. God. I love it. Well, this place has three different theaters within it, one for ballet, one for musical arts, and one's a smaller theater. But uh, the, the main theater, which seats, I think, about 5,000, uh, last week they did two nights in a row where uh, Walt Disney has a program called uh, Walt Disney Musicals, and they reach out to urban youth to bring them in. And actually, you know, it's kids that are in grade school, elementary school, and um, and teach them musical. And then they, they come and perform on huge stages. So they had these kids from a variety of elementary schools performing and they were great. But then the following two nights, they had something which I had never heard of. It was the semifinals for the Jimmy Awards. You know what the Jimmy Awards yes, are? Yes, I know what the Please, I'm a theater nerd. Of course they know what the Jimmy okay. Awards are. I, I had never heard of that. And oh. they had kids from high schools from all around the city of Orlando. And I didn't know what to expect. My wife said, hey, let's go see this and support the theater. We went in and they had about 10 different high schools. I could not tell the difference in terms of the voice and the performance and just the, the theater savvy of these high school kids who were performing uh, from anyone that I saw on Broadway. It was amazing. And of course, the two kids that got the scholarships and uh, were sent to New York to spend a week uh, with the Jimmies uh, were just phenomenal. But you talk about literally hundreds of young people who I don't remember that growing up where you were able to do things like that. And it is yeah. such a an important uh, event. And I think the reason I fell in love with you on Twitter is because of your comment about uh, learning your trade and applying your trade in the CIA from what you learned in, in um, improv, yeah. which I think was fascinating. I, it's funny. People ask me all the time, like, I'm looking at going to CIA. I'm thinking about applying. What should I do? And I tell everybody, there's two things you should do for any job regardless, but especially the CIA, take a public speaking class because yeah. it's not just about public speaking, it's just having that comfort, but take an improv class because yeah. it is, there's a whole concept of the improv and I talk about it all the time, but it's this yes and principle where you accept any challenge, you say yes and then and, and then you yeah. just add to it. And when you're in the CIA, everything is new. Everything is spontaneous. It's of the moment. You have to make, you have to act and react so quickly that if you just go, okay, yes, this, this is the challenge and now what, and go forward. It was improv, which I learned in school because in a lot of theater, especially when you're young, you play a lot of improv games and theater games. And it was that that made me fall in love with it. And then I did in college and then after college. But yeah, it was it was truly that. And I it was beyond, 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 beyond helpful. And I was going to tell you about the Jimmy Awards. What's cool is a lot of the winners have been sort of it's almost this feeder into Broadway, I think. And I could be wrong, but I think uh one of the girls who was cast in Miss Saigon was a Jimmy Award winner. I think she was one year out, and they said she's amazing, and she ended up going to Miss Saigon. I could be wrong, well, but I think I'm right. Yeah, I mean, they had they had two kids uh, that were, you know, sophomores in college now that had won the the semifinals here in Orlando, kind of semi-hosting the show here. That's neat. One of them had a role. Well, both of them had a role on Broadway. One was a you know background dancer. But the other one was one of the three or four main characters in uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, oh, wow. which was kind of cool. And I mean, that's an inspiration to young people too. Um, 
But anyway, yeah, it's, by the way, your, your, your improv piece about yep. the yes and, yes. That, that also is a good characteristic of good leadership. Um, you know, being able to see all possibilities in people and say yes and versus no but, you know? It's, uh, it's sort of the principle we always, my husband had done improv too, and we always we always say yes and. Those are the two phrases, yes and, and when you're making, if you're going to go for something, also, don't don't play ping pong, play tennis. And so those are two. Those are like my two little <laughs> mantras. Like, why would you play ping pong when you could play tennis? And we're always like, okay, you go for it. Anytime there's a challenge, you're like, should I do it? I don't know. I remember somebody asked me to do a speech somewhere, and I was it was a long speech, and it was a quick turnaround, and I was hemming and hawing. And he's my husband said, you gonna play ping pong? I'm like, damn it, no, I'm gonna play tennis. Fine. You know, like yeah. you can't say no, but it, those are the things I think. Like, I tell my nieces that all the time. I said, you know, play tennis. Just yes, yeah. and what's the worst thing that could happen? And then something horrible happened. I'm like, oh, your aunt was wrong. She's really dumb. Well, um, I, my my new favorite expression is, why do the two step when you can tango? Right. That's that's truly the dance version of ping pong tennis. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. That's perfect. It's genius. <laughs> um, uh, what's your guilty pleasure mu musical? That you'd almost be embarrassed to tell people. Mine's Starlight oh. Express. Just so you know how uh, mine's Starlight Express. If you want to know how low we'll go, I literally love a musical that takes place on roller skates. I have no shame. I've never seen that. I'll have, have to. I have, have to mark that down. It's not a good musical, but I love it so much. What do you have a musical that when you say to people, "Oh, I love this," they're like, "Come on, Mark, come on." Um, yeah, Rent. That's a great musical. Yeah, but for, for a guy, it, it, we, we were stationed in uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, outside of Seattle, and I took, you know, Sue and I had, we saw it was playing downtown, so we asked a couple of guys, you know, a couple of my commanders and their spouses to come with us, and they were all looking at me like, okay, this is weird. They had never seen it before, but it's a great musical, and it, it, is. it has so, so many good lessons to it, too. I was listening to that in the car today. Oh, wow, okay. I, was, I, I, go, I go through phases where... I'm all Sondheim and I'll do Sunday in the park a lot and I switched up with company and sometimes a little Sweeney Todd, but then I'll go through a rent phase cause it's, I have the two CDs. And so I'll go back and forth between act one and act two. And then somebody's all pepper in a little chorus line, a little Vita and always Evan Hansen and, and Hamilton. So those are like sort of on the mix, but I was listening to rent today cause I just, it's so pure and just yeah. beautiful. And it was, it was Hamilton, you know, in the nineties to me. Okay. Yeah. What? Um, one last musical theater question for you, and then I will I will let you go. Although I could talk to you about musicals and really for another eight hours, um, but I'm sure your wife would not enjoy that. Uh, what <laughs> musical? <laughs> what musical should you have? Do you feel like you should have seen, or like when people when you say I've never seen this, people shame you? Like you uh, can't. Uh, I haven't seen that. No, I can't think of any. Seriously, there has to be. Have you seen Evan Hansen? Oh, I have not. <gasps> okay, there's one. There's I've a good one. Them. Well, you said Hadestown, too. Hadestown is, and I'm actually going to be interviewing the director from Hadestown. And I'm, I have to tell you, if you get to, when you get to New York the next time, it is your must-see show. It is, to me, first of all, it's, it was written, the music was written like 2006, and it's been worked on and worked on until now. But there's a couple songs in there that are so 
relevant to now that there's one song literally about a wall that was written in 2006 wow. that if you turn around to everybody, I was looking at the theater because I was very emotional, <laughs> i.e. sobbing. Um, but everybody around me was crying. Some people got up and walked out because it was just too much. It wow. was, it's such a, first of all, the music is like rich and glorious. It's just poetic and beautiful. The staging is amazing. It's, it, you know how when you saw Rent, you're like, how do they, how does a creative mind put this together to tell this unique story? It's the same, you'll feel the same way when you see Hades Town. You'll be blown away. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. good and if you're, if you're not lying to me. And just be like, oh, you're totally correct. Okay. Your, your theater assessment's amazing. Well, um, I want, I'm going to just say, if you all enjoyed this conversation, I know you did because Mark is amazing. You can visit Deep State Radio Network and support all of our work by becoming a member. And if you're a member, you get early access to all these podcasts and all sorts of fun stuff. And you should also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And you can follow Mark, and he's truly an amazing follow on Twitter. Amazing. And he's at Mark Hurtling. M-A-R-K-H-E-R-T-L-I-N-G. Did I get that right? You did. <gasps> Yay, gold star. And you can follow me, of course, at CI Spy Girl on Twitter and Instagram. And Mark, I've been waiting to do this, and I'm so excited because I heard your voice on CNN, but I thought, I can't wait to actually talk to you and have a conversation because I so respect what you've done, your service, and what you continue to do and how you continue to use your voice. It's so important, and I am so admire you, and I just want to say thank you, and I'm so excited to get to chat with you. Uh, it, it was my pleasure to, to finally talk to you, too. It, it, I've, I've watched you from afar. I love your commentary. It's great. You always put things in perspective with a good sense of humor. So we have this mutual admiration society going on. We really do. Yeah. I'm well, thank you, thank you, thank you, and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.